15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Contact World is a technology and media company dedicated to improving public health. And our podcast is our opportunity to dive into hot topics that are relevant to you, from contact tracing to vaccines to social and racial justice. We may not have all the answers, but you deserve to know what goes on in your neighborhood and the decisions that affect you and your family's health. I'm Justin Beck. Join me and my co-host, Catherine and Deep D, as we seek truth in health. Listen to Contact World, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carl Jung once said that knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness of other people. But what if that other person is your father? This story covers two lives, a father and his daughter, and two paths, a killer and a victim. I'm Lauren Bright Pacheco, and this is Happy Face. I got a phone call. You guys were in bed. I got a phone call, and this guy gets on the phone, and he says, I know where you're at. You're in the kitchen, and you're wearing this. I was petrified. Oh, my God. So I closed the door to the kid's room, and I turned off all the lights because I didn't want him to know where I was at. But whoever called me knew exactly where I was in the house, and he knew exactly what I was wearing. So I knew he could see me for wherever he was. So I turned the lights off and I called 911 and they said, well, if they haven't broken in or anything, there's nothing we can do. I go, oh, you're so comforting, you know. But the fortunate thing for me is I was babysitting my sister's two dogs. And I was sitting on the couch and I said, oh my God, Lord, if you take me, if he kills me, just don't let my kids find me in the morning. Please don't let them find me. And I sat with the dogs next to me. I can see the door handle turning. And the dogs went ballistic. And whoever it was left. Do you think Keith had something to do? Oh, he said he did. Keith states that he hired someone. How did you know that it was him that was trying to put a hit on you? Because that was the only... Who else knew where I lived? It's been a long, long year Things got messed up You stayed sincere During the dreamland fire I'm on the road with Melissa Moore, the daughter of the Happy Face serial killer. Noel, our producer, is also in the car with us, and we've just left her mother Rose's office. 
Rose told us this terrifying story about how Keith had threatened her, even from prison. He had hired somebody to possibly even murder her. And Melissa's beginning to realize that none of her childhood homes were truly ever safe. Let's actually go there. I want to I wanna go to the first place I stopped when we came to Spokane. If, are you okay with that? If I take you there? Of course. I'm on Hamilton Road, which is the road my mom took when we got to Spokane to head over to my grandma's house. And everything was new to me. I have never seen so many buildings so close to each other. There's so many cars. This was a site that I've never seen before. And it was thrilling to me as a young girl. It was absolutely exciting, despite knowing my mom had just said that her and my dad were separating, which I didn't believe. It didn't feel real. I felt that this was a temporary situation, that they would get back together, that this was just going to be like a summer vacation. When, when you moved to your grandparents' house, how did your day-to-day change? My grandma, you know, didn't expect to be hosting a family in her house. And so there was no way she could have prepared, even if she could have prepared. So her basement was an unfinished basement. It was all cement, cement floors. And there was a canning cellar with this old reclaimed wood. And there was no, there was one bedroom that was finished in the basement with um, like particle board. But my area that I picked was the cellar room and I had room for a cot. And then there was no room for any furnishings. We didn't have any furniture. So I used um, shoe boxes to organize my underwear and my socks. My cardboard. Yeah, cardboard shoe boxes. And that was kind of like my makeshift dresser. I thought I was going to last just a week or two, but it quickly turned into the whole summer, and then summer quickly turned into, I was going to fifth grade now. My mom was registering me at Evergreen Elementary here, and when she registered me for fifth grade here, it now felt like, oh, this isn't changing, and especially when my dad showed up. But when Keith came, it was a huge disappointment for Melissa. She suddenly realized he wasn't this superhero or this mythological figure she'd always romanticized him as. He had a trailer of all our belongings and it was like halfway through. Like he didn't even have any care. When he showed up, it was a disaster. It was just like tossed in there like it was trash, our belongings. I actually didn't even recognize it as my own bedroom furniture because it was so broken down and so ruined by the transport. Rose remembers this well, and it's even worse from her perspective. While Melissa focuses on her bed and her possessions, Rose's sadness comes from losing something irreplaceable. When we had left, he had given everything away from our house. Like, I wanted to keep, like, you guys' baby pictures and her ba- how she had a cute little gown had little rosebuds all over that your grandma had bought for you and and a quilt that was made for you and he chucked that all out or gave it away Phil Stanford the Oregonian May 26th 1994 
One day, about November 92, he says, he picked up a girl named Claudia in California. On the way out of L.A., my mind went wild with the thought of a sex slave, and when I stopped at a rest area, I took her. I taped her up and raped her again and again. I kept her for four days alive. Then I killed her and dumped her body about seven miles north of Blythe on 95. I was still happy to see him because I thought that every time my dad came, I could persuade him to get back together with my mom and like everything would go back to normal and I could have um, my life back. I thought I, if I could just manipulate and convince my father, I would try every tactic possible. And maybe, you know, other kids, when they go through a divorce, go through the same thing. That's what I did with my dad. I wanted him back. I wanted him to fix the situation, you know. But you registered that, like, he wasn't treating your, your things with respect, that there was sort of a, a coldness there. You registered that. I registered that, but I thought it was because of his anger at the situation. I didn't take it personal. I thought it was... Did you blame your mom? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I blamed my mom. That's what I regret, is I blamed her. She didn't deserve that at all. How did you guys start dating? Um, oh, I know the story. You were working at a burger place, mm -hmm. and you were doing the takeout window, That's and then correct. my dad drove through the takeout, and then you didn't put the meat in his hat, like the meat patty. He was still sitting his, on the grill. <laughs> <laughs> on the left, and then he circled back because he didn't have meat in his hamburger. Right. It was just two buns, right? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and he goes, uh, miss... I did order a hamburger and there was no meat in it. I go, oh, okay, it's still sitting on the grill. <laughs> so he asked me out and I said no. Every time he'd come in, he'd ask me out and I'd go, no. Finally, my girlfriend goes, I'll just go out with him once. Why didn't you want to date yeah. him? I was not really attracted to him. You know, the whole thing, I don't even know why I even married him, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so Seemingly inappropriate laughter seems to be a trait of the Jesperson women. It's almost gallows humor. 20 years later, it's like, what did you even see in this guy that you married him? I guess I just, I rooted for the underdog so long I married it. <laughs> I don't know. exactly a faithful husband. Oh, absolutely not. From day one. From day one. Actually, literally day, day one. one. Yeah. Tell me about your wedding day. Um, got ready for the wedding. We got married and they were doing pictures of me and I guess he was outside kissing the bridesmaids. My best friend. Pam. Right? Pam. Mm -hmm. How did you find out about that? Uh, she told me maybe years later because I, I felt so bad I wanted to tell you. But Dad didn't tell you. Of course she, not. She told you. Mm -hmm. When, when you were married and we were living in Yakima, did you ever sense that he was unfaithful? Like, oh, how I, I knew it. I knew it. I was getting phone calls every day. Hi, is Keith here? 
I said, no, who's this? She goes, oh, I can't remember what her name was. And she goes, oh, would you tell Keith that I called? She goes, oh, who are you? I go, his wife. Oh. And then she'd hung up. So they were phoning the house. They were phoning the house. Did you ever confront Dad on these women calling? Um, I did. He would say things like, if you only knew. Like, we'd be driving down the road. He goes, if you only knew. And I go, if I only knew what? Because if only you knew. After the second murder, the happy face killer says he realized he liked what he was doing. This triggered something in me, he says. It was getting easy, real easy. A week or two later, I stopped in Turlock, California at a rest area. A hooker became my next victim. This time I just strangled her right there without sex. She was in my truck only five minutes. I dropped her body off behind the Blueberry Hill Cafe 10 miles south on 99. I placed her body in the dirt and stepped on her throat to make sure she was dead. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with GEICO, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico. Great service without all the drama. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the exciting adventure of the daily commute to the peace of mind that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service and legendary customer service. But Pamela Mund had one reason in particular. My skin is extremely averse to most fabrics, except for the soft, buttery feeling of leather. Thankfully, I found my clan of leather lovers in the biking community. It's been life-changing. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I just couldn't understand why we couldn't get together. Like, I, I couldn't understand because our car came from my dad. When we needed anything, my mom would ask my dad, and my dad would buy us a new car, or my dad would provide the things that we needed. So it felt like we just weren't competent on our own without him. Like, somehow he was competent and knew how to make things happen, and, and he got money so fast. And so effortlessly it looked like, you know, but I doubt it was that. Now looking back, you know, as, as a mom now, looking at... He didn't have to pay anything. Like, all of his resources, his full-time job didn't go to supporting a family. and went to himself and his lifestyle. Did you, at one point, try to go on the road with him? There's some story he oh, tells. Oh, yes. So, so you guys stay with your grandparents. Mm -hmm. We go to Arizona. So we're in Arizona. In a semi-truck. In a semi-truck. It was a blazing hot day. So we were going to stop at a restaurant and eat. So we, he parks the vehicle. We walk. And there was um, 
I call them pimps, but they had a huge black limo and they were washing it. He physically picked me up and put me in the arms of that man. He said, you can have her, and walked away. And that was the end of our marriage. That was it. That's when I left. I don't, I don't even know why I got back in the truck with him and went back home. Mentally for you at that moment? That was it. I was totally done. So he basically told pimps that you can have my wife. Picked me up, physically picked me up and put me in the arms of a guy. Like, what the, like, I couldn't think. I was in so much shock. I couldn't figure out. We never talked, by the way, the whole way back. Never said a word to each other. How did he feel about being a dad? Well, he, he said he really was happy, and I mean, he held you and stuff, but he was never home. So what he said and what he did was two, two different, different things. things. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That's always been the case. I, I think I spent the first year, it was like, I don't know how to explain it, the first year she was born, I was like, there was some dark force that was trying to kill us. I don't know how to explain it to you. I went... The first year with, with Melissa had went through two fires. Didn't I save the family by waking up? When, yeah, like I was, I was sleeping and she was playing in her crib. And I go, what the heck? And I looked over, oh, she's playing in the crib. I heard an audible voice tell me, Rose, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Why can you see your child playing in the crib? Eyes shot straight up. The whole bathroom was on fire. I grabbed her, ran out, I nudged Keith, ran out the door with her. And the whole mobile home felt burned it, down. It didn't burn down, but it caught the whole roof on fire. Wasn't it the vent? Keith taped the vent. It got so hot that the fan, the melt, it melt, plastic melted, and I had a little toilet cover, a shag cover, and it caught it on fire, and the whole bathroom was engulfed before the smoke detectors went off. I was already out the door before the smoke detectors went off. When did you remember having the first feeling like, oh my God, I made a mistake in terms of marrying him? I think when I went through the second fire. It was like three months after that, your dad had a contract with the backhoe to do irrigation pipes for a huge orchard up in Winianchi. So we borrowed your grandparents' brand new travel trailer and we parked it under the hill and there was just dry grass all the way up the hill and then there was a beach and then a lake. And I remember looking up and the hill was on fire. 
And it was all dry grass between me and that trailer. It was tall, dry grass. Do you know that he was an arsonist? He set fires. I didn't even think of that. He did it throughout his childhood. He, do you think he set the trailer on fire? I that's and after that, I, that's kind of a coincidence. Two fires. Exactly. Do you think he's having second thoughts of being a dad and was trying to kill, kill us? our family, kill us all? I have no idea, but I think about it. Like I told you, a dark force was trying to get rid of us. So dad was gone. Was. You didn't see him. And there, this fire happens on the hill. And it's coming straight down for us. And then what, what do you do? You have me in the lake. Uh-huh. I, and I grabbed the hose from behind the camper and saturated the grass as much as I could with the water from the, the hose. I mean, it was going to be our life. So, and I had a visual point that if the fire broke past that line, I was going to just leave the hose there and I was going to run to the lake and I was going to go deeper with you in it. And then did it ever reach that point? It did not. I saw the fire truck come down. When, wow. it out. when did Keith come back? Oh, maybe 15 minutes after that. How did he know? I have no idea. It was an incredible moment just watching them come together. It was as if they were putting together the pieces of a puzzle that they'd been trying to solve for years. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, giveth thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change. Like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mm. yeah, I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Then you, you said that was the moment when you regretted marrying him. Why? Because it was... This is the second fire, like within three months. And I felt like this dark, oppressive force was after me. And I felt that that force was your dad. Then shortly after that, like a month after, we go camping, it's you and I, and we're at a church camp. And so he decides to sleep in the car, but you and I sleep in the cabin. And then I heard a bear. 
And it's going around and around our cabin. And I was like, oh my God. I, I mean, I wanted to grab you, put it in my bed, but I didn't dare stir you. And then the bear stood up on the door and was pushing on the door. And there was only a leather latch between that bear and us. And so I laid there and I said, oh God, just please don't let Melissa make one sound. Please don't make her one sound. And then I heard another bear going around and around. That's not an accident. He must have planted fish or he something. He did. He did. He cleaned fish in front of the cabin. You can see paws all over the place. And he was sleeping in the car. And this bear was pushing on this door. And I was pushing on this door. And I just thought, oh my God, if that latch unhooks, we're, we're, we're dinner. I know that dad knows not to clean fish like it's, it's 101 it's yeah. 101 you don't prepare your food in your camp base right or clean fish you're supposed to even put your trash up a tree yeah he knew he knew that i mean he packed horses with his dad they've they've went camping since they were little they they know the bush better than anything it's apparent to me three incidents he's mm -hmm. conveniently in a different location this is this is definitely him trying to make it look like an accident. I think after that point that I really believe you and I were protected, really, spiritually protected, you and I. Very, I felt that from the very beginning with all the kids. The happy face killer, if that's how he wants us to think of him, says he left his next victim in Salem, Oregon. My next victim was a hooker I had used weeks earlier. I summoned her on the CB. She had a raincoat on. We went through the normal procedure. I felt so much power. I then told her she was going to die and slowly strangled her and dropped her off behind GI Joe's in Salem. I put her against the fence under the blackberry vines and covered her with leaves. She says your dad never abused her. I do, and I, I believe in the physical sense. Yeah. Because he didn't physically abuse her. Was he abusive man? Yes, in a different way. He was abusive emotionally. He was abusive, like, controlling the money and controlling her. How did, how did it make you feel hearing, kind of putting the pieces together about the stories your mom told you about the fires? Because you obviously knew about, you knew about the fires. Knew about one fire. I did not know about the bears or about the other fire. I didn't put the pieces together. Like this is, the, like I've had these fragments, these little stories that just paint a picture of one particular thing. Now I feel like the pieces are coming together and painting a bigger picture. I had assumed when he had thoughts of killing us kids that it was towards the latter years. Never would I have ever thought that it happened as I was a toddler. You know, I didn't go that far back. When you look at Keith's history as a serial killer, you have to understand that his murders that we know of took place in a five-year period. He started killing in 1990 when Melissa was 10, and he stopped in 95 when she was 15. And that history she shared with her father before he became a serial killer is something that's very difficult for her to process. 
you know, I, I guess I had put somewhat my dad in a box too. Like he, he was the monster for five years. Now I'm seeing he was the monster for many years, decades. Like this not, is not, not all his life. Yeah. The five years is not an isolated event. It was an escalation. Were you ever afraid of him? Was I afraid of your dad? No. Was I afraid of the person that picked me up and put me in the arms of another guy? Absolutely. I was afraid of that. Do you think he was born that way? I think he was groomed to be who he is. From less. So you like his dad? Happy Face is a production of How Stuff Works. Executive producers are Melissa Moore, Lauren Bright Pacheco, Mangesh Hatikador, and Will Pearson. Supervising producer is Noel Brown. Music by Claire Campbell, Paige Campbell, and Hope for a Golden Summer. Story editor is Matt Riddle. Audio editing by Chandler Mays and Noel Brown. Assistant editor is Taylor Chacoin. Special thanks to Phil Stanford, the publishers of the Oregonian newspaper, and KATU News in Portland, Oregon. QAnon is the world's largest online conspiracy theory. Followers believe someone called Q has provided them with information about a deep state cabal within American politics. More than 70 US congressional candidates have either shared or outright endorsed QAnon material, but no one has confirmed the true identity of Q. We aim to change that. I'm Jake Hanrahan. Join me for my new podcast, Q Clearance, a series that aims to uncover the true creators of QAnon. Listen to Q Clearance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact World is a technology and media company dedicated to improving public health. And our podcast is our opportunity to dive into hot topics that are relevant to you, from contact tracing to vaccines to social and racial justice. We may not have all the answers, but you deserve to know what goes on in your neighborhood and the decisions that affect you and your family's health. I'm Justin Beck. Join me and my co-host, Catherine and Deep D, as we seek truth in health. Listen to Contact World, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.